Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and everything connected to it, uh, everything connected to helping you and your company grow, deliver, learn. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So uh, why don't you tell us more about your background, because you know more than I gave in that quick blurb, and also give us uh, your contact information. Okay, so the best way to reach me is info at optimizeintl. That's optimizeintl.com for obviously Optimize International. You can also reach me by phone at 978 369 Four five two five nine seven eight three six nine four five two five. So my background, I used to run companies in the early part of my career for about 20 years, grew companies. And then since 1992, I've been coaching senior executives from startup entrepreneurs who are well-funded and fast-growing to major corporations, uh, C-level at the Fortune 50. So what's happened is really a lot of my work has been around how do leaders influence and communicate and be able to move organizations around the non, you know, what I would call, you know, the non-tangibles, the visions, the missions, the goals, those most intangible things of all. Because if you can influence around those, you can influence around virtually anything. And my first book was actually called The Ultimate Sales Revolution, Sell Differently, Change the World. And it was really based on how you educate leaders to sell those intangibles. Because if you can do that, you should be able to sell value in almost any form possible. Um, I have skimmed through the book, The Ultimate Sales Revolution, and it uh, talks about a lot of the same things that I do. I think we might use different words for very similar concepts. Yes. Um, really impressed. I really in, enjoyed that. Uh, I am, uh, I call some of those intangibles. I, I want to choose one specific intangible in my book, Radical Value. And that is customer perceived value. Right. And value I define very carefully as the desirability of the outcomes that a customer gets from buying your product or service. So customers don't buy your product or service, they buy their own outcomes for their own reason and how badly they want those outcomes is value. Mark, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, this is really, the difference in our approach compared to many of the sales approaches and certainly the influence approaches where we're trying to foster what we want instead of raising the understanding in our customers and our clients about what would really be of greatest value to them. Yeah. Greatest of, yeah. yeah. So a lot of my uh, client engagements, we start with what are your differentiated features? Mm. That's a good place right. to start. 
But uh, within 15 seconds of us articulating what are truly differentiated features, you know, we do an exercise where we say, you claimed it was differentiated, but is it really? And we have cross off the ones that your competitors actually have. Uh, which ones are re our marketing content stuffers and which ones are real. But as soon as we find out which differentiators are real, we spend the rest of the time talking about the customer's outcomes from those features. So my in carpet wears longer, which is nice. But now let's talk about customer outcomes. And certainly there's dollars per year, but there are fewer replacement cycles, which means less business disruption, which also means, right, and that the carpet doesn't look as shabby towards the end of life cycle. And you may be, um, you know, the, the environment looks nicer for guests, prospective hires and so forth during a, a longer period. And so there's a lot of outcomes that customers don't know to ask about. You know, it's interesting, Mark, because part of my background is what I would call being a so-called phenomenologist. What that means is I'm really interested in how humans really work. You know, as a leadership focus, you know, part of the understanding people and understanding groups and how people make decisions, think and, and decide what they're going to do is part of it. So what I really looked at is how people make decisions and what I would call, I created what I call the three sources of miscommunication. And I did this when I was working with a technical group who was trying to figure out why they're dealing with relationship and influence because they're technical experts. And I said, those three sources of miscommunication, very simply, we're going to use your statistics, are you, them, and the way you do it together. And the one that's going to be most interesting to us is them. And the question I ask is, what percent of the time is the first request that somebody gives you exactly what's most valuable and important? And around the world from thousands of people, you know what the answer is? I'm sure you do. You know, it's 10 to 20% of the time. Sure. So what we know is if somebody says, this is what I need, this is what I want, I want you to do this for me, we know that likely 90% of the time, that's not it. That's not where the value is going to be. That's not where the importance is going to be. So starting with that fundamental, my first question after somebody says, I need this, whatever the this is, the question is, and what's most important about that? Yeah. Um, brilliant. I, I say something different, that the thing that your customer knows to ask when you say, what's, what do you need? Or when they say unprompted, this is what I need. That's not what they're just telling you. That's what they're telling every one of your competitors. Right, right. And every competitive salesperson who is trying to sell just that uh, is feeding into that horrible phenomenon that buying uh, teams have where they say, you know, I got three business proposals on my desk with three different logos on them from three different companies, but it's the same proposal. Nobody right. differentiated because everybody was responding to what the customer initially asked for. That's exactly, that's exactly what happens. And I'll tell you, what I tell people is if you start this line of questioning, Whatever they give you, it's a starting point. It's what they think their objective is. But what we know is 90% of the time, that's not it. So if you ask what's most important about that, and you start to go down that list, you know, within two to three, most four questions, you're really dealing with what's most substantial. This is the ultimate differentiator because everybody else is quoting what was asked for. Yeah. What you're quoting, not only you're gonna quote something different, 
but you've also created value before you've ever done anything or asked for a dime from them. Because rather than go down a path of giving them something that they think they want that won't end up being valuable, you've helped them reconfigure their thinking, restructure what they're aiming at. And now you've given them a better target that, oh, by the way, you now know whether you can hit well, and also they're gonna trust you. I talk about the two perception changes that need to be made if you really wanna influence people. Number one, they need to understand you know what's most important to them. What's the yeah. caveat to that? Most of the time they don't know. But by helping them get clear about what's most important, they're gonna begin to see, wow, this guy not only can help me get clear, but he did help me get clear about what's really important. The second perception change is they need to understand you can do something about it. Now here's the problem in sales and influence, every place I've seen, everybody starts with influence perception shift number two. Let me tell you what I can do for you. Except we've ignored the fundamental pivot point, the fulcrum though, which everything turns, and that's that you understand what's most important to them, which of course is not happening most of the time because they don't know what's most important to them until you facilitate that. Your ability to facilitate their clarity is the ultimate differentiator for you that you're the right person because if you help them understand what's really important, they're going to assume you can do something about it. By talking about what you can do, you get no credibility. Uh, Steve, you know, you're, you're preaching to, you're using, you're preaching my same song. You're using some <laughs> slightly different words. Uh, I, you know, I call, I say that uh, salespeople need to talk about their solution in the customer's language, in what this does for them. Uh, and that requires some business acumen. You can't know thy customer's business right. until you right. know business. So actually I have a, a basic business acumen for sellers to get them back to being a specialist diagnostic valued resource within their domain. Your customer shouldn't and shouldn't ever be expected to know what your solution does for them. That's your job. That's your business. Right. Correct. And and if all the if the only solution you're asking them to solve is the one they knew about, you're not doing your job. You aren't fulfilling your potential, your optimum role, and that is to be the expert that helps them solve problems they didn't know that you could solve, solve more important problems that they didn't know that you could solve. Correct. You know, it's interesting because I always ask the question, you know, what is it that they would value enough to say, you're the right person to deliver this? And the problem is they need to understand what's valuable to them, but also the solution possibilities. Once you get to the point of what really is most important and valuable to them are vast and it gives you a chance to funnel all of the opportunities that they may not know. I'll tell you a story, you know, my first Fortune 500 client, it's, oh my God. Uh, more than 25 years ago. And they had spent six months researching how to, how to market IT services because due to a reorg, they were going to be forced to be something other than just technical experts. And I walk in six days before they needed to make a decision. And the guy's saying, we're looking for a two or three day program on marketing IT to our clients. And I said, well, okay, what happens if you don't do it successfully? He said, we're out of business. I said, have you ever had lasting results with a two or three day program? He goes, no. 
I said, I'd suggest something different. Now, I didn't know what that would be yet, but right away it shifted their whole perspective to realize what he had been pursuing for six months would be a disaster. And right there, it changed everything. 30 minutes later, he stood up, shook my hand and said, if my clients, if my people could do with their clients what you just did with me, which was simply to get them clear about what was important, to see different possibilities and what he had been, you know, banging the door about, all of a sudden, we would be in a very different condition. And they were, and yeah. they were. And that was the beginning of a seven-year relationship. That's simply because I told him I'd try something different. And then we constructed what that might be in order to have lasting, sustainable results. That's, that's a great story and really illustrates the principle of understanding the customer's business better than they understand it. Right. Um, at least your key part of it. And you know, sometimes what, what it is, they are the experts at their own business. What's happening though, is they've got a gap between where they are and where they aspire to be and helping them to understand where they want to be. What's the high value destination? And then to understand where they are, all of a sudden by identifying what I call the gap, it becomes much clearer what the bridge needs to be. Yeah, I call that a value gap as well, exactly. Yeah. So again, what we're trying to do is establish that gap. What's missing for most people is a lack of clarity about the destination. What I always say is, you know, Alice in Wonderland, you know, the Mad Hatter said, if you don't know where you're going, any path will do. Yep. And our job is to help them establish that destination, establish what the gap is, and now we know what we need to do to build that bridge from today to a high-value destination. And that's how you create a very long-term relationship and a high-value influence. Yeah, Steve, I think you and I um, have a we're kindred spirits in our understanding of, of customer value. I, um, this has been a, a real fun conversation. Uh, I'm going to turn it unpleasant. Um, those of you who are listening to this after the fact, uh, we're recording this right during the, the, right in the meat of the COVID-19 lockdown. And um, companies have found the world shifting under their feet. And how, what I would like to get your perception or your insight in, into as a selling organization, what responsibility do we have to our customers to help them understand how their world has changed? Well, I think, Mark, you put it together as well as you could, how to help them understand what their world is like. You know, what I find so many people are operating in fear about what they don't know instead of constructing what it is they do know, where it is they really want to be, and how closely do they, are they working with their clients to do the same thing? I mean, the fundamentals are the fundamentals. What's the gap that exists today? I mean, the gap is one where there's a lot of unknowns, but yet the destination we're trying to establish is clear. So what we're talking about is a bridge will probably be a little more meandering than usual, but what's the high value destination? What I find with a lot of my clients, they're looking for stability right now. So let's talk about how you create stability in your organization, how you create engagement with your clients in your organization, and how do you get your people on board to focus on what's going to be valuable? Again, 
what really matters, what's most important, what's most valuable. And you want to take it piece by piece. Let's start to build that value chain to the point where we've got our priorities clear and we start targeting our top priorities. The challenge today when people are confused and they're in the unknown is they think we don't know what to do. Well, you got to choose, folks. If you don't choose, that's a certain choice and it's a bad one. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm been harping the last couple of weeks that every company in the world um, has, before this all happened, uh, every company, just about every company in the world was disappointing in how well they understood their value to their customers. Um, McKinsey found in the, I think in 13, 14, they did some surveys in consecutive years. Uh, they found that only 22, 23% of directors on boards of directors understood their customer value. Wow. And um, at the bottom end of the spectrum, I consulted with salespeople and a uh, hundred of my fellow consultants and I all found the same thing. So this is over a hundred thousand individual B2B opportunity reviews with thousands of different companies and salespeople overwhelmingly fall short on understanding customer outcomes and customer value. So this is a shortcoming that's top to bottom and pre-existed COVID. Uh, but wait, don't call now. It gets worse. Your value has changed. The value you didn't understand before is now very different than it was three weeks ago. Do you know how it's changed? It changed from something you didn't understand very well to something else. Do you know? And um, what are we going to do about that? And I, th I think there's, um, it, it, it might be a little bit daunting, but I think in the next month, companies need to spend a lot of time not just figuring out stability and making sure that you've got the financing to be able to get the next six months, but you need to understand how your value has changed and what you're going to do about it. Right. Mark, you know what I basically say to everybody I work with from frontline salespeople to the C-suite, the executive team, I ask the question, what is your job? And that's a really important question. I would say the answer is exactly the same, whether you're the CEO, the CIO, the CFO, or you're handling the largest account for your company. And here's what I articulate the job as, and it's just what you're saying. Your job is to be a facilitator of what's most important and valuable to your clients. Because until you do that facilitation of clarity about what's most important, you're probably not serving in a valuable way. You know, whether you're the leader trying to get your organization together or you're the salesperson trying to engage the customer, the question is, do you know what's most important to those people you're trying to influence? And until you do and until they get that you do, remember perception shift number one, they yeah. perceive you understand what's most important to them when most of them don't. Until you achieve that, everything else is going to be minimally effective and successful. So yeah. your job is to be a facilitator of what's most important to your client. It's job one. After that, you can start to deploy your expertise yeah. and your value proposition. Steve, give me your thoughts on this. I, I was in a webinar. We're all sitting on a lot of webinars today. <laughs> uh, somebody said that one of the things that clients need is not only to feel that you understand them, but 
they need to feel like they're good at making decisions. Well, you know what? I mean, again, the only way that they're going to be good at making decisions is if they're making the highest priority, highest impact, most important and valuable decisions. So we as facilitators of what's most important as salespeople, as leaders, the ability to help them do that is contributing to what they want. I think people want to feel like they're making the right decisions. Smart people are always open to improving or solving the problem better. This yeah. is what I always say to leaders. You know, we want to help, you want people who are going to improve or the situation or solve the problem. Yeah. And by Let helping them yeah, get yeah. clear, you're doing that. Yeah. Let me see if I can restate what I think I just heard you say. And that is, if we can help them articulate enough value, find value they didn't understand they, they could get, they could capture. If we can help them internally articulate enough value, they will be comfortable advocating for a change in your direction, advocating for you, adopting for you, implementing, go through all of those, especially if it was an IT customer, right? All of the pain of, of implementation and all the risk. If you can articulate the outcomes, then they will have felt faith in their own decisions and be able to articulate that faith and uh, take their organizations through that probably difficult change process. Mark, you and I are on the same page, and I think you've articulated it really well. Here's the point. You know, a lot of times there's multiple levels of decision-making, and what you want to do is make sure that the person who is going to take your proposal up the chain is so convinced that this is the best, most valuable, most important priority, choice, and solution that they're going to become a major advocate, not just hand the paperwork of your proposal up to their boss, but when they're going to say, listen, this is what really matters. This is why it's the best choice of what we should do. When they can articulate those one-two punch, how to do it becomes a simple process. And it's probably handling your proposal, but as an advocate, as an ally, not just as a, you know, a conveyor of a piece of paper. Yeah. And, and at that point, then uh, all of those cheesy skills at closing become perfunctory. It's well, You know, this is interesting because in the context I talk about becoming an indispensable partner is the highest level of relationship you can have. What does it mean to become an indispensable partner? That you create so much value that they call on you, not just for your expertise and your specialty and the service or the products that you have, but they see you as a resource they can turn to. And the reason they see that is you help them clarify what really matters and what's really most valuable whenever they talk to you. Because that's what we do fundamentally is help them see what's most important and valuable. And if that's where you start, your job is to be a facilitator of what's most important to them, then you become an indispensable partner because every time you talk to them, you raise the focus and target it towards what's most important and valuable. And now you are in a relationship unlike any other vendor would have. You're an indispensable partner, not a vendor. Steve, you know, I'm, I'm got chills being able to talk with somebody that really gets it the way I get it. You're, you're not only brilliant, but you're uh, perceptive and a handsome gentleman as well. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad we're on the podcast, Mark. That's right. 
(laughs) I've got a face for radio myself. That's what my wife tells me as well. Yeah. So um, what a great conversation, Steve. Is there anything else that we we missed? I I would like you to just go back to and just briefly restate those three sources of miscommunication because we went through them really quickly, but I think they're pretty important. Yeah, they are. Well, I talk about the three sources. And this is really fundamental because I use this. This is in my first book. It's in every practice that I do with somebody. What are the three sources of miscommunication, the universal sources of miscommunication? And it's interesting because most people are going to give you all kinds of answers. My answer is it's you. And the question to answer there, what percentage of the time are you a highly effective communicator? Now, with professional groups all over the world, the answer is pretty much the same, 60 to 80% of the time. So let's average that at 70. That means 30% of the time, you're the problem. You're not being a highly effective communicator. Second question, what percentage, it's them. What percentage of the time is that first request that someone gives you exactly what's most important and valuable to them? And the answer is usually 10 to 20% all over the world. And we're not talking about just in the United States. We're talking about Europe, Asia, every place I've ever worked. And the average is probably closer to 10%, which means if you do what they ask you to do, 90% of the time, you miss the opportunity to deliver value, which is the most important differentiator you can have. And the third part is really a fun exercise for people to do. It's you and them together. So I put people in groups of five, and I ask them to come up with the first words that come to mind. For you and I, it would be sales. We'd get our little team and write down the first five things that come to mind when we say sales. And then we'd see how many matches we have of those words. So a match means all five people in a team have the exact same word. So you could have a maximum of five matches. I've done this with well more than 1,500 groups around the world. You know how many times we've ever had five matches? I'm going to guess less than, you can count them on one hand, I'll bet. You can count them on no hand because it's zero. (laughs) You know how many times we've had four words? These people who work together, usually intact teams, four words are the same. Never happened. Never had four matches. Three matches. Three words that they hold in common. People who work together in the same area. Never happened. Two single words they hold together. You know how many times we've matched that out of 1,500 groups? Twice. One single word that all five people in a group hold in common. You know how many times that's happened in 1,500? It's happened 14 times. Wow. Which means we've had not a single match in 1,484. So let's recap. 30% of the time, you're the problem. 90% of the time, they don't tell you what's most valuable and important. And 99% of the time, you don't understand what they really mean anyway. So what it goes back to is this fundamental premise, until you facilitate what's most important to them, what their high value destination is, and also help them recognize where they are now so you can expose the gap, you know what's most important, you know where they are, they see the gap and they need to see it. Because one of the things I also say, Mark, is it's 10 to 100 times more powerful for them to articulate the outcome and the gap as for us to tell them what it is. Oh my gosh, yes. You're, I don't know if that I would go as conservative as 100 times. It's, it is everything. Right. Um, customer value only exists in your customer's mind. Value That's only exactly, exists. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And so if, if and this kind of leads to one of my pet peeves, uh, the term value messaging. The word messaging, I looked it up on nine dictionaries on, on in, 
seven of the dictionaries, in six of the dictionaries, it was unidirectional and electronically delivered, like text messaging. Right. In two of the nine, it was unidirectional. So in eight of the nine, it was unidirectional, six of which was electronically. The ninth, there was three definitions. The first two were unidirectional, and the third one said, it's serial unidirectional to achieve some, some sort of shared meaning. So I have this hate for the current term value messaging. Oh. Because if you, I don't believe in the magic pitch. And so even if you gave this magic pitch that is the statistically determined to be your best shot, you have no idea if value occurred between your customer's ears without a dialogue to find out what just landed and how much and how, how valuable it was. Mark, that's the fundamental premise that most people don't understand. Value does not exist in what you think you have. And that goes for even if you're 100% correct. My number one axiom of becoming an indispensable partner is this. Being right is insufficient for being effective. And as I like to go on to say, everybody who's married knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> you, you, have, you have clients, you know what I'm talking about. Being yeah. right is insufficient for being effective. And being effective is what we need. This whole concept, the very word pitch, is so out of tune with what it takes to be successful today. It should be thrown away. You do not pitch. You facilitate. You collaborate. You elevate their thinking to what's most important because truly, as you said, value lives in their mind. And until we know what they value and until we've helped them get to what really they should value, it's too early to say anything about what we have and what we do. Yeah, I, uh, sales is the most human of all activities. Humans, more than any other creature, any other organism, uh, are a social creature that seeks shared meaning. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, I always ask and, this question. I'm and, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah and, and without shared meaning, all of this stuff that we've been talking about for this many minutes means nothing until you know what they're thinking. You've gotten them to think something, you know what they're thinking, and now the two of you can do something with it together. Mark, you know, my fundamental, and you and I are on the same page with this, it's always about the value, but here's what I say to people. Sales, influence, persuasion, and leadership, it's a human-to-human -human experience. So let's ask the question, What's the universal driving force of the most effective relationships? Because we're talking about relationships in all these cases. And the seven most common answers in order are these. Trust, respect, openness, communication, listening, caring, and understanding. Trust, respect, openness, communication, listening, caring, and understanding. To which I say, have you ever had those and the relationship didn't work? And the answer is, of course it didn't. So I said, those are not the universal driving forces. Those are all tremendously valuable to have. But the universal driving force of the best relationships is the amount of value you create in the relationship. The more value, the better the relationship. And the rest of those follow from that. I couldn't agree more, Steve. Thank you. Um, I, you and I could probably go on for days and have a... We could. A, <laughs> agreeing with each other. 
Uh, but thank you so much for a, a really great conversation. Uh, why don't you give everybody your contact information once more? Okay, info at optimizeintl.com. You can also go to www.optimizeintl.com and reach me that way. By phone, please feel free, 978 area code 369-4525. And I look forward, please feel free to reach out with questions and thoughts, we will answer. Great, uh, Steve, thank you very much. And thanks everybody for tuning into this episode of the Value Clarity Podcast. Whereas Steve and I have been discussing value only exists in your customer's mind, which means that your success is all in your customer's head. Thanks and have a great day. Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customer's outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old, don't know value blue. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.